Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze all of your favorite pop stars and then rank them in the official Pop Pantheon. This is your host, DJ Louis the Fourteenth, and it's here, our listener mailbag episode. I'm so excited to answer all of your questions that we got. We got so many incredible questions from everybody from truly around the world. It was shocking and incredible. Before we do that, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. That really helps the show get in front of more people. Also, follow us on social media at Pop Pantheon Pod, where we do lots of fun games. We preview new episodes. We do feedback sessions. Lots of good stuff happening, especially on the Instagram, Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. And I'm at DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on both Twitter and Instagram. Cop our merch, our niche legend dad hat at poppantheonpod.com. The look for summer, if I do say so myself. And also join our Patreon, Pop Pantheon All Access at patreon.com slash poppantheon, where we do at least three bonus episodes of the show per month, offer access to our Discord channel, and so much more. Our latest episode is with Nora Princiati about Speak Now, both the OG version and Taylor's version. It was such a fun episode. We've got a great new episode dropping Monday that I won't say anything about, but it's got a Pop Pantheon fave guest. And it's about a Pop Pantheon fave artist. So we're doing it, as I said, at least three bonus episodes of the show per month. And really, if you're not listening to that, you're kind of missing like a whole important piece of the show. So patreon.com slash Pop Pantheon, link also in the show notes of the episode. All right, so this is our listener mailbag episode. Russ is here. We're answering a plethora of questions. We got so many amazing questions from you guys about Pop, about the Pantheon, about how we make the show, about trends you guys are seeing, about rankings, et cetera, et cetera. We had such a blast recording this. I had such a blast listening to all your questions. If we didn't get to your questions, I'm so sorry. It wasn't because they weren't good. We just got a lot of them and we just picked out some of our favorites. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, we are going to do a bonus round of this where we answer more of these questions on Patreon in the coming weeks. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Russ answering all of your guys's questions for us in our listener mailbag. Thank you again for sending them in and for listening to the show. All right, here it is. Well, I'm here with Russ, my favorite Pop Pantheon guest on any day of the week. Hello, Russ. Hello, Louie, or as I like to call you, Bessie Rexa. I feel like you've used that one in private already, so it's like not going to get the reaction that you're hoping for. Well, I'm hoping that I might get a reaction from the listeners. Hello to Pop Pantheon main feed. I am very rarely here, so it is so exciting to be on the main feed and talking to uh, the whole audience. I know, and you're famous to the patrons, but that's just their like personal benefit. Like, talk about benefits of joining Pop Pantheon All Access. Like, one of them is you get to hear Russ like every other week. <laughs> Truly, I try to get Russ to talk more, but Russ is like, uh, Russ likes to play the angel role, but really, she's the demon. <laughs> And only the patrons get to know. That. I love to be behind these scenes in this wonderful world of podcasting. And today I am making a rare appearance out in the wild to do a listener mailbag. I have yes. got so many wonderful listener questions for you. We got things from all around the world this time, Louie, like Venezuela, Italy, the Netherlands. We went global. Yeah, that's really incredible. Honestly, when I was listening to some of the notes as they were coming in, I was like, I'm surprised that listening to me is like something you'd rather do than like just living outside of Italy or whatever, <laughs> wherever you are. It's like listening to this stupid podcast, but I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. I'm just saying just touches me. What do they say? Living the Dolce Vita. Living the Dolce like, Vita. Uh, yes. Yeah. So we, we got all of these questions from all around the world. It was so exciting. Thank you so much to everyone who sent in a question. 
How do you feel about starting things off with one of my favorite pop girls and yours, our girl Charlie XCX? Yes, Charlie XCX. Let's go. We can count on our listeners to always give us a question about Charlie XCX, I think. Hi, Louis and Ross. Love the podcast. Um, Long time listener. Um, I'm Charlie from Amsterdam. My question to you is... What direction do you reckon Charlie XCX will be going in um, with her new record deal? I think she's signed for two more albums. Um, what direction would you like to see her go in? Who would you like to see her um, kind of work with producer-wise and also with featured artists? I know you've mentioned before Britney would be a good collaborator for Charlie or Charlie would be a good collaborator for Britney. But are there other people you'd like to see Charlie work with either on her own album or um, coming up? in the future as a producer or featured artist. All right, thank you so much. All right, interesting question. I think as we've probably talked about before, Charlie's overall sort of vibe over her last album cycle was pivoting towards some sort of pop centrism, although I think we had interesting discussions in various episodes about how is she actually doing that in terms of how the center of pop actually sounds right now. But I guess you could say that she was sort of aiming for something a little less agitating than her hyperpop era that went on for a while. And it seems to me that Crash was like a pretty big success by Charlie standards. I mean, it wasn't like a big success by sort of traditional pop star metrics, but I got the impression that a lot of people really liked that album across the spectrum, like from hardcore Charlie fans seemed to like accept this slight pivot. And it seems like it brought in maybe some people that were not involved in the hyperpop era. Just in Charlie terms, it felt like a successful era. And now she has this new record deal. Which we don't know much about. Charlie has said that she has signed a two-album deal. She has not said with whom. So my intuition is to say what I hope and what I don't think she's going to do is like slide back into an old sound. I think we're probably done with that. I would think with the sort of hyperpop AG Cook era. The question I think is, is like, does she make like a sequel to Crash, like another kind of like somewhat center aiming pop album? Or is there some sort of like new edgy milieu that she enters in this new era? I feel like those are kind of the two options. And I'm inclined to lean on the side that she's probably going to continue to try to hit something more mainstream. I have a sense that she like sees that Crash was like a a successful starting off point for something. And I wonder if she's going to try again, especially with the backing of a new label to once again, try to capture something a little bit more big tent. That would be my intuition. But then I could also see her sort of like picking out some sort of like new producer or collaborator from obscurity and making something weirder. I don't know. I feel like those are kind of the two potential paths I see for the new deal. What do you think? If anyone can have her cake and eat it too, I think that it's Charlie XCX. And I can really see a world where we get another big tent pop record in the vein of Crash. Of course, Charlie's going to evolve. She's going to move forward with her sounds it's not going to be the exact same but i can see a world in which she both does that and also finds projects whether it be soundtracks like she's doing barbie or collaborators guests appearances producing other works i think that we're going to continue to see her working at the vanguard of pop and i think that if anyone can do it it's her and i do think that she can do it but i hope that we get some big massive pop from her because I really loved Crash and I loved her in that mode and I think it it's really cool. If the Barbie song is any indication though, I mean, that sounds like a little bit of like a retrograde mm-hmm. Charlie song. Like that sounds like a, 
Vroom Vroom adjacent Charlie song to me, but like with maybe with you know slightly kind of more commercial aspirations. Yeah, I mean, what would like? I don't think this will happen because I have a sense that this person doesn't really work with this type of artist. But like, what would like the Charlie Max Martin album sound like? You know, I you know she must love him. So I wonder, just like as a thought experiment, like what would fusing her and him together be like? I bet pretty cool. <laughs> Like, what would that sound like? I don't think he would do that, though, because I, I don't know. I just from what I sense about what he does, he really goes for artists with like ma- massive mainstream appeal or potential, which I don't necessarily think Charlie has at this point. So I don't know. That was one thought that came into my mind in terms of like who a collaborator could be. But yeah, it'll be really interesting. I feel like that's got to be imminent, too, because she's a pretty prolific worker. Yeah, I can't imagine that. In the next 12 months, we don't have a pretty full-scale Charlie project. Agreed. And I, I, can't, I can't wait for it, whatever it is. Me too. All right, next up, we got a question from one of our patrons. A lot of our questions came from Patreon. Mm-hmm. If you're a patron and we don't answer your question in this go-round, don't worry. We've got another for you coming up just for the patrons. All right, I got a write-in question from Alessio who writes, How does Dua Lipa fit into the current pop cult of personality dominated landscape in your opinion neither her nor her music feel particularly earnest to me and i say that as a huge fan i'm wondering whether moving forward in her career this will be detrimental to her status as an a-list pop star i appreciate the framing of this question because i it does reflect how i think about pop right now and how i think about dua lipa which is to say that i do think she sort of is a counter example to this broader authenticity trend i forget what he called it in his email, uh, cult of personality but, but, um, cult to personality. I think it's true because I do think she's a pretty vacuous personality and I think her music is works in an older school mode of like perfect pop song versus like cult of personality slash idiosyncrasy, which is like how I think most of her A-list seeming pop peers seem to me right now. I mean, there are other exceptions to this, but none as clear as Dua because I think like the other exceptions to this to me are like Doja Cat, but I still think Doja Cat is such a weirdo even when she makes kind of straight ahead pop music that that's where you kind of get a little bit more of the connection to the broader trend. Whereas Dua Lipa really strikes me as like an old school pop star where it's like, she's kind of unknowable. She doesn't have a huge personality and her music is not very personal. So I think that every movement in pop always like benefits from counter programming. Mm. Like there's always somebody in the zeitgeist who's like not doing what others are doing and like feeding off of people needing alternatives to like what else is happening. So I think that she's providing that. There's two things that come to mind. Is she also a harbinger of a trend shifting back towards something a little bit more artificial and a little bit more surface level glamour, less gritty? Maybe. Another interesting part of this trend could be like the explosion of K-pop acts in America. I mean, you think about like a Blackpink, they operate similarly and they've got a lot of young fans too that are also probably standing Billie Eilish and SZA at the same time. So it's interesting. It's not it's not happening in a vacuum totally, but I do agree that in terms of like English speaking pop superstars, she feels anomalous. And I guess the other part of what I'd answer this by saying is that I do think this next era for her is going to be like pretty pivotal because I really think there's two worlds that I can imagine and I sort of feel like they're equally possible honestly one of which is that we realize in this next era that future nostalgia happened in a bit of like a zeitgeisty way where it happened to be the right album for the moment the pandemic hit 
I heard somebody say interestingly, I think in another question that might be coming up that like the fact that we got to see her have like a nervous breakdown around the release of the album and like cry and all of these kind of things like kind of humanized her in a way that she had never seen before and that all dovetailed with us being on lockdown and the album coming out in this moment where like no other music was coming out and we wanted something uplifting. I don't know. There was like a lot of things that kind of played into the success of that record. Not to mention just a a fistful of like the best singles of recent times, which like sometimes can just happen. I mean, we just did this episode on Paula Abdul, right? Like interesting comp where it's like one album loaded with like a lot of really memorable singles that she just happened to kind of land on. And then it was like hard to recapture. So I can see a moment where perhaps Dua Lipa's been as big as she's going to get and it's like either kind of like lateral to downhill from here depending on what she does next or I could see a moment where this was a launching pad for like an even bigger next record I think this is a really pivotal moment for that and I do think in terms of pivotal next record whether she continues in the dance pop mold or not exposing some sort of layer of depth or scope of of ambition one or the two things kind of needs to happen I don't think she can just like release another solid collection of dance pop songs I'm not saying that wouldn't do well but I don't think that's going to set her up for the kind of career that's going to keep her as like an A-listy pop star for a while. I think something has to happen on this record that displays growth in depth or scope of ambition or both. And I, I can't remember whether this was on the Patreon rush or not, but we did talk about how the moment I think she's in is like the same moment that Ariana was in after Dangerous Woman. I think that's kind of where Dua Lipa is right now, where it's like she's proven she can make hits in like the Song Factory sort of idea of the word and then I think like the key for her at this exact moment is to figure out how to prove that she's more than that somehow and that doesn't mean that she has to try to turn herself into like a diaristically like scissor-y kind of artist because I don't think that's really her strength but there's got to be some way that she can broaden the scope of what she does and I think there's numerous ways she could go about that but I do think this is a pivotal moment and and I guess the answer to your question because I've gotten kind of off course is I think she's kind of counter-programming I guess what my point is I wonder if that has to do with a larger hunger for that that will continue to help her be successful as counter-programming or whether that was just really a fleeting moment where the stars aligned in some ways does that make sense that makes sense to me next up I have an email from Valentine or Valentine I'm not sure from Italy I'm going to read the whole thing it's a little bit long so strap in what effect do you think the controversy slash failure of the idol is having slash is going to have on the weekend's career seems to me that his recent overexposure and response to the backlash as well as the show itself has greatly fractured the fantasy of the weekend's musical world I don't know how many people Abel is really convincing right now with his attempts to separate his character on the show as well as his structural involvement in it from the character he's presenting in his music. His original soundtrack songs for the show seem to be falling completely flat as well. And I'm just wondering, are we witnessing the end to the weekend's seemingly unstoppable reign? Well, as our patrons know, I am no fan of The Idol. Russ and I did an episode about this. Not to keep plugging the Patreon, but we do make a lot of content on there. So, like, you know, I know there's a world of people that are, like, aware of our opinions on certain things and not on, and others who are not. I was no fan of The Idol. I think something that's interesting that sort of maybe complicates the premise of this question a little bit is that The Weeknd's last studio album also didn't do particularly well. I know everybody knows I was a big fan of it. Don FM did not perform on the same level as his blockbuster After Hours, which came out in 2000 and had Blinding Lights and Save Your Tears and, you know, a lot of big smashes. So question number one is, was The Weeknd already perhaps in a bit of a commercial backslide? 
Number two is, I think that the songs from the idol not doing well are more a function of people just not watching or caring or liking the idol than they are about anything about the weekend. I think there's a lot of people out there that are like outside of the media bubble that like are vaguely aware of this show, but like are not necessarily like steeped in the narrative of the show. And if the weekend comes back with like an undeniable banger, I don't think there's not enough people that are going to have been mortally turned off by the idol to stop an otherwise great weekend song. That's my opinion. But I mean, the other thing is that taking a step back as we do here, The Weeknd is at a phase in his career too, where it's like he's been making hit records for 12 or 13 years at this point. He's been around and I think he's made some of the best music of his career in the last three or four years. Some of which has also been the biggest music of his career and some of which has been the least successful of his career. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, look, he's also, how old do you think The Weeknd? He's probably our age, right? Around our age. And that's an interesting moment in any pop star's trajectory. Like, you just don't know. Like, it really takes an interesting and thoughtful, smart, risk-taking pop star to find a new way to stay interesting at that point. So, I mean, even Drake, for instance, who's a contemporary of The Weeknd's, feels like he's in a bit of, like, a weird, less commercially saturating moment of his career where he doesn't quite have the zeitgeist by the balls, excuse me, like he did at one time where it's like everything he did was huge. It feels like he's, like, out of step a little bit. I mean, that just happened. So we'll see. But I I think my overall answer to your question is I don't think the idol is the number one issue. I don't think the idol has been like great for him per se, but I also don't think it's been like outside of the people that listen to this podcast and who are like really tuned into this stuff. Like I don't think people care that much or know even know that much. Does that resonate for you? Uh, wh- what I want to say is The weekend is 33 years old. And if we can apply some ageism to him, I think that that yeah. would go a long way in terms of pop music equity. I agree. I mean, I look, the truth of the matter Cashed. is like that is, I mean, seriously, that is the thing though. Like you hit that mid thirties age and it's like everybody starts to struggle. Yeah. Like except Taylor apparently, but that's the reason that Taylor is Taylor. Yeah. Like she's a cut above most pop stars in terms of how to figure this stuff out. But like, it is tough. Madonna struggled in this time period. Janet struggled a little bit in this started to be struggle a little bit in this. I mean, everybody, Beyonce had to re-find her footing in her early 30s, you know, like after four came out. I mean, this is a moment, this is a big thing where pop stars do have to sort of figure out who they are as like true adults. And when the first wave of their fans is entering their 30s and, you know, it's, it's and they're no longer like just eating up everything that happens and they have other shit going on in their lives. Like, how do you make them interested in you again? The Idol, if it had been good, could have been an interesting answer to that question. But of course it was not. I think the reader hits on something that the idol has accentuated the pace at which the character that The Weeknd is playing in his music has stopped working. And he has talked about not making music as The Weeknd anymore. And I think that, you know, we're about to see some sort of a shift. The biggest impact negatively, I think that this is going to have on him is on his press and potentially on how critics receive him because Mm -hmm. he looks like a real douchebag. He does, he does. And it's going to be hard for him to get the same sort of glowing profiles that he has been accustomed to through most of his career. We'll see. I think that there's going to be some turning on him, but not at a mass scale. And if the music's good, it won't matter. Yeah, and I think to your point also, the other thing about The weekend is that he was like a pretty mysterious press shy person for most of his success and he's been much more visible as a result of The Idol and that has not been beneficial. Like he comes, as you said, he hasn't come across well. The other thing I would say is that I also think you're right about the fact that like what got displayed on The Idol was kind of like a much less artistically fertile 
version of like a lot of the themes that he like addresses that seem kind of interesting and gross but interesting <laughs> in his music comes across as like simply disgusting on the idol so it's really it's like a bad mirror of some of the weekends like ethos in general all right i have a call that i am going to play from megan hi i'm wondering would you ever do an episode on ashley simpson i think we totally did her dirty Back in the mid-2000s, and I would love to hear your take on her career and music and what you would want to see from her now. I mean, the answer is a resounding yes. Obviously, we would and will do that. I was a big autobiography person in my day, so agreed. What I would like to see her do now, I'm not sure I'd really like to see her do anything now is my answer to that question. I mean, I really do agree that she was done dirty and there are some really good songs in the mix on those, all three of those albums actually. And they're like time capsules of a really particular moment in pop, in Kelly Clarkson runoff pop, whatever you want to say, or like Avril Lavigne runoff pop. But like, I'm not sure that I like need Ashley Simpson as like a 30s mid-30s mother like I don't think she's the type of musical artist where I'm like I need to hear new stuff from Ashley Simpson necessarily as much as I also agree that she was done dirty and look forward to doing episode on her I I can't say that I'm like clamoring to hear new music from Ashley Simpson how about you Russ what I will say is for my day job I spend a lot of time on the photo wires and I see Ashley all the time and I would like to clarify that Ashley Simpson lives the best damn life out of anyone Mm -hmm. from her cohort she married into the Ross family. Ashley Simpson is spending her time having family Mm -hmm. dinners with Diana Mm -hmm. Ross and Tracy Ellis Ross. She's going to chic events in expensive clothing. Her husband's hot. Ashley Simpson lives a good damn life. And I want that for her. I don't think that her coming back and making a mediocre album is going to help shit in her life. A hundred percent. And bless her. A hundred percent. I love that for a hundred percent. I don't think she's going to make new music again and I don't want her to. So there you go. But yes, to the episode, no question. We are definitely, in fact, we have a kind of funny little idea for whenever we do do that, but that's all I'll say for now. Yeah. Excellent. Next, we have a question from one of our patrons, Abigail, who asks, why in capital letters is this Luke Combs cover of Fast Car blowing up right now? And are there other covers of well-known songs that you can remember becoming hits like this? For anyone who is outside of the country music landscape. Uh, Luke Holmes has done a cover of Tracy Chapman's seminal 1980s song, Fast Car. I believe it came out in 1988, which was a huge, huge, huge moment for her in the 1980s. And it has become sort of second to Flowers, the biggest song of the year, second to what's going on in the Morgan Wallen world. This song is just an absolutely massive, massive song on radio, on the Hot 100, and it is a cover song. So I remember when we were driving, driving in your car, speed so fast to feel like I was drunk, city lights lay out before us, and your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder, and I, I had a feeling that I belonged, I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. Louis, what is driving this phenomenon in your opinion? I think this is like one that we don't really have to overthink very much. Like once a good song, always a good song. I mean, Fast Car is a stone cold classic, incredible record. And this 
cover is has a lot of fealty to the original i mean obviously it's a male country star singing it so it's a little bit different but it still sounds more or less like the same song that we were familiar with not to mention that we're in the midst of a massive nostalgia wave that's like consuming pop across the board even quote-unquote new songs feature giant obvious interpolations of old songs which is like the trend of the moment every single hit song feels like it's doing that in some way or many of them are doing it so this it's not so far of a stretch to just start covering songs you know directly obviously luke combs is a huge country star that's not something that i'm like tracking that closely but i'm aware that he's a giant star i think this is one that we don't have to really overthink that much it's introducing an incredible song to a new generation of people and it's an undeniable song it just really is and the end i guess maybe to the listener's question this is something that happens all all the time. I mean, the things that came into my mind as really obvious ones are the Fuji's cover of Roberta Flack's Killing Me Softly with his song was a huge hit when I was a kid. And I think many view now as the definitive version of the song, which can also happen a lot. Same goes for Whitney Houston's cover of Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. These are cover songs of previous hits that are bigger than the original versions and i think maybe unfortunately this is also true in this luke combs situation i mean the song is a at least chart wise a bigger hit than tracy's song was so this is not an uncommon occurrence this happens all the time and i think it's one of those ones that like just don't overthink it too much it's like it's a great song and i hope it drives people to go back and listen to the original because the original is really one of the most moving hit records of all time any others come to your mind russ as like obvious examples of like cover songs that maybe like got bigger than the originals or maybe are now the definitive not that but what came to mind from my generation was the pop punk interpretation of smooth criminal a big mm-hmm. michael jackson song by alien, alien ant farm, ant farm. <laughs> that's a really funny one also madonna doing american pie comes to mind for me i will say also if you haven't listened to that entire tracy chapman record go and listen to it there's an incredible song called across the line that i think is so unfortunately still pertinent to racial politics in america one thing that the luke combs interpretation doesn't have is the like perspective of a black woman in america which i think drove a lot of the feeling and emotion behind the original song and drives the feeling and emotion behind a lot of that entire record although i did think that it was cool that luke combs kept the she her pronouns so luke combs Mm -hmm. is singing that from the perspective of a woman and that's unique and interesting for country for sure a truckload of money has been dumped off at tracy chapman's house because she is the sole writer on that song and yeah i was gonna say i think that's fucking cool so tracy chapman one of the greats yeah and there's also this really disturbing phenomenon that i have been cued in onto about like this cover of dancing on my own no yeah no I know. That's an affront. That's, <laughs> that's really that's horrible and I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Let's not even give that attention. Okay. We have a question coming up. We did a series this spring on girl groups, and I got a question from T about the legacy of an all-time great boy band. Ready for it? Oh yeah. Hi, Louie and Russ. I hope you guys are doing well. My question is, would you ever consider doing an episode on boys to men? So I'm in my early 20s, but I recently got into Boys to Men as a result of sort of a YouTube rabbit hole that I went down. And I just find their story to be really interesting. They had this sort of massive success in the early to mid 90s. And, you know, they're not really a group that I hear a lot of people talking about. But 
you know, they are sort of generally amongst the people who know them considered like titans of, you know, vocal boy groups. And um, yeah, I just don't really hear a lot of people talking about them, but maybe that's just because they didn't have a lot of success going into the 21st century. So yeah, that's my question. I also just wanted to say thanks for this podcast. I don't really consider myself to be a music person, but I just love pop culture commentary and you guys have introduced me to some artists that I wouldn't have otherwise listened to. So thanks. Aw, love that. I love Boys to Men and I love that era of R&B, like particularly as like a big sweet spot for me. I actually was thinking about Boys to Men the other night because I went to see my king, Charlie Puth, at the Greek <laughs> theater and... He has a wonderful duet with Boyz II Men on voice notes. That's like a Boyz II Men tribute in some ways. The answer is yes. Of course we would do an episode on Boyz II Men. I'm sure we will eventually be doing that. The 90s were times still when like hip hop and R&B were really segmented out of quote unquote mainstream pop. And I think the truth of the matter is that even Janet suffers from this. Like Janet is viewed one way by black people and that is different from how she is viewed or like the her the size and scope of her impact feels different there than it does for your average white listener in a way that like Beyonce's I don't think is the same. I mean I think Beyonce means something different to different groups of people but it's clear to everybody the size and scope of her impact is equally obvious to both groups whereas I think Janet you'd find like if you went and talked to like a black woman who grew up with Janet and is now in their mid 50s or whatever or in their 50s a lot of people looked up to her as like the biggest most important star on the planet and I I'm, there were white people that saw that that way too and I'm talking about I'm making a broad sweeping generalization in terms of like how their legacies are seen like I think within the black community Janet for instance would be like a slam dunk tier one artist and I think some others outside of that might not get Get that totally. So that applies in an even broader way to some of these big R and B acts. I mean, I was hanging out with Jordan Sargent and Omri the other night, and we were listening to Tevin Campbell, who is like a great example of like another babyface disciple in the same way that Boys to Men are in some ways. Babyface wrote a lot of their big songs and wrote a lot of Boys to Men's big songs. And like Tevin Campbell, like you can see, I see this from DJing. Like you, you, you get it in a room that has more people of color in it, and you play certain of these songs, and it's just like they're the national anthem and then you get in front of white people and like they don't know who Tevin Campbell is and they don't remember these songs at all so it's like that was a time when there was a lot more sort of separation along these lines both on radio and then I just think culturally in terms of what people were gravitating towards in a way that like thankfully I think there's less of that that goes on now so yes it would be great to revisit R&B acts from this period including Boys to Men who did in spite of everything I'm saying have a number of incredibly successful memorable crossover hits that I think are equally remembered by all different types of listeners I mean End of the Road and I'll Make Love to You and even like Motown Philly and stuff like that these are songs that I think like pretty much if you're a if you're a Gen Xer into an early millennial like these songs are pretty fucking monstrous memories for you just radio smashes so yes, love voice men, love that era of R&B in particular. So always looking to do those kinds of episodes. All right. I have a question from Georgina, who is wondering how you, Louie, go about analyzing the music that you listen to and forming an opinion of it. Oh, that's interesting. 
I wonder if she's talking about like specifically in context of like prepping to make episodes of Pop Pantheon or like in general. Yes. Yeah. I can't remember whether I, where I talked about this. Maybe I talked about it on the Patreon, but it can really depend because there are some episodes of the show that I go into the prep process with a lot of thoughts and know the music really well. And there's others where I'm hearing stuff for the first time. And there's many where it's a combination where I'm familiar with some stuff and less familiar with others. So that experience can really differ because if I'm listening to music that I already have a lot of thoughts and opinions on that I've formed over a lifetime. I find that the process is more like, can I hear this in a new way? I do a lot of reading often before I listen to stuff, which I don't know what other people's processes are like, but like I like to get myself situated contextually before I listen to stuff. So I will go back and read contemporary reviews. I'll read retrospective reviews. I'll like learn about the history surrounding a certain album, for instance, like that I'm about to listen to. So I just feel very like situated in what I'm listening to. And, and then the way that I'm listening to it is just way more tuned in than I would be like in a normal just living my life setting. Like when we're all just walking around listening to music all the time and it's just about, hey, is this hitting me? Is this not? Like, is it in the background? Am I paying attention to it? When I'm prepping for the show, I'm sitting at my desk at my computer for the most part with a Google Doc open and I'm pulling quotes. I'm writing down anything that hits me. Like, I, you know, I, I come into the episodes of the show with 20 pages of notes and I'm, you know, every song I listen to, I'm, I just scribble down everything from a lyric that stands out to me to like a production choice that stands out to me to like ideas that this is sparking in me about the artist in general. And I think the other thing that makes prepping for the show different than sort of just your average listening session is that I'm consuming so much of the person's work in a really short amount of time. So you start to just really like draw lots of connections and themes, like just automatically start to percolate. Like if you listen to five albums by an artist over the course of a day or two, like you're going to start to see connections and threads that like you wouldn't necessarily see if you were listening to it in a more spread out way or just more sporadically. Like, so I'm always trying to just cue into these things and understand them in ways that I can come into these episodes and like make those connections for people as best I can when I'm prepping for the show. So it's a, it's just a very, it's a much more like focused and intensive listening process. And in fact, one thing that I really enjoy actually is when the episode is done, I love just like putting on the playlist that we make for the artist and then just getting to just go back to enjoying them just like without having to overthink it is really fun. Like with the richest of knowledge I've gathered from the episode, but then being able to just turn my brain off and just kind of enjoy the music. I really tend to like doing that after I've gotten through the kind of more rigorous process of trying to like be an engaged, thoughtful consumer. I have another process question. This one comes by an email from Jay from North Carolina, who writes, I'm very curious about your selection process and deciding when to deep dive into an artist. I know you've mostly decided to do new artists after their third album, but what about artists who have peaked or passed? Mariah, Janet, Whitney, Michael, etc. Is the question whether we're going to do those episodes? (laughs) No, I think it's a no brainer that we're going to do it. It's the selection process of when we decide to do a deep dive to an artist. I've said in the past that like, we tend to play by like a three album rule. Cause I think about our podcast as a retrospective kind of thing. Like I do think, yes, are we talking sometimes about artists that still have their large parts of their stories to come? Yes. I think the best way to think about it, like maybe in the most, I don't know if I've ever even said this to you, Russ, but I think that, you know, one thing that kind of challenged us recently for us was the Kim Petras thing. Cause we were like debating whether or not to do that. And like, she's still really early in her career and she, <laughs> depending on who you ask or how she's framing it on a particular day, this was her debut studio album, quote unquote. 
So that kind of flies in the face of our three album rule, but there's just so much story there that I kind of felt like we're good. I think that's kind of the overall thing is like, is there a story there yet? Is there a narrative? Like, is there some sort of at least beginning and middle like to talk about, if not necessarily an end, is there a story? Like by contrast to Kim, you look at Olivia Rodrigo and I'm just like, there's not enough story there for our Pop Pantheon episode. Like there just isn't, a, not enough has happened. We're still at the very beginning of things, it feels like. Whereas with Kim when we approached it it was like you have the whole Dr. Luke thing you've got her position as the first openly trans mainstream pop girl aspirant you've got her indie label phase and you've got her major label phase and you've gotten all these different attempts to try to find a way into the zeitgeist and so it just felt I think we both felt like there was just enough there for an episode so I think that's kind of how we think about it we think about it like is there story there like any artist that's been around for 20 years their story but it's not less true for artists that have been around for shorter than that i guess yeah from a production standpoint i would say that my focus is often on the calendar in the whole so listening to what the listeners really want we did a listener survey last fall we're always asking our patrons what they would like to hear so we have a good sense of the artists that everyone wants to hear and we also want to do a mix of different eras. We sometimes want to add a man into the mix here and there. <laughs> uh, we want to make sure, for example, we're not doing all white artists or all from the same exact area of pop genre wise. Mm -hmm. So th that kind of stuff we love, if possible, to give you an episode right before a new album comes out from a big star because that feels like a fun listener experience to explore the back catalog and then shoot right into a new era that isn't helped along by the fact that no one announces an album three months in advance anymore so that <laughs> becomes very production tricky yeah so it, it's a mix of things yeah we're definitely always playing a giant chess game puzzle piecing about like you know how soon do we do artists that are too similar to each other making sure we're playing on different areas even though let me tell you certain eras are less popular with the listeners than other eras but like you know we still try to like balance out also like feeding what we know the majority of you guys want to hear with like making sure that we're also doing episodes that feel like meaningful to the process of laying out the pop pantheon mm -hmm. you know it's like that's always another part of the balancing act is like we're very aware <laughs> what you guys are waiting for all the time and like you know I also think for everybody that like yells at me online all the time about like how could you have done this person but you haven't done Taylor and Britney and da 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 I, Russ and I see this podcast as a long-term investment for us and we know you're all waiting for those so like you know and why would yeah. we uh, you're gonna get them you're gonna get them it's just that you know we want to make sure that we have those around for as long as we hope the podcast is around for and we're having some interesting discussions internally now about certain early episodes where the podcast was like you know a little bit more in a nascent form like potentially revisiting some of those early artists that we did in broader terms putting a pin in that jay is also wondering whether we would consider doing an episode dedicated to our unpopular opinions of the pop girls things that we loathe that everyone else seems to love i feel like i'd be doing that all the time like am i not constantly doing that i feel like i'm constantly like putting my unpopular opinions out fair enough do i need to have a whole episode devoted to that i don't think so i think i can make any episode about that <laughs> the thing that you guys really should know though is that russ is the snarkiest, most demonic person of opinions, gay bitch. 
<laughs> out there and he comes across as like Mr. Sweetie Canadian like happy go lucky whatever but like when the microphone goes off you should see the text messages I get about some of your faves because I know he doesn't want me to tell them right here but like he has some opinions that I think he would very much like me to keep to myself. Not every opinion is fit for air. Not every thought is fully formed. But I will say that once during a game night with a bunch of my closest friends, it was one of those games where the cards are out and they have a descriptor for every person. And one of the cards said little bitch and 12 people handed me the card. (laughs) Okay. I just think it's funny because everybody sees me as the one who has like a lot of hot takes, but like behind the scenes, I feel like I have more like basic alignment with most things and you will come through with like a take that I'm like, holy fuck, like holy shit. Like about people that like, you know, yeah, whatever. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Okay. Are you enjoying this episode? Because if you are, let me tell you, if you're only listening to the Pop Pantheon main feed, you're only getting half the story. Over on our Patreon channel, Pop Pantheon All Access, we're now offering at least three, yes, three bonus episodes of the show per month. We're talking about all your favorite new albums like Jesse Ware's That Feels Good, digging into all the big singles of the month on our new music speed rounds, and of course, deep diving on classic albums like Janet's The Velvet Rope, Ariana Grande's Positions, Lady Gaga's Chromatica, and so much more with all of your favorite Pop Pantheon guests. All of this, plus you'll get access to our Discord channel, input on future episodes of the show, and so much more. So what are you doing? Go over to patreon.com slash poppantheon or click the link in the show notes of this episode to sign up at the icon tier today i have a call from one of our most loyal listeners shout out martin hi louie and russ it's martin here with the recent announcement that pc music are going to transition to a purely archival label and release no more new music i'm interested in your thoughts on what is the legacy of pc music How has the label and the artists on the label shaped the sound of modern pop? And what are some of your highlights from the label? Um, Obviously, you've got your Charlies, your Sophies. My personal highlight is Pink and Blue by Hannah Diamond. Shouts to Hannah Diamond. So I really want to hear what you think about all this music. Sort of most pioneering and exciting music. You know, I think some of us maybe have ever heard and how you think the whole legacy of PC music will be felt as pop moves forward and what are these people potentially going to do next? So thanks, guys. See you later. So, Louis, before you answer that question, for anyone who is unfamiliar with PC music, can you just set up what the label is? Yeah, the label's like a collective of artists that are sort of under the umbrella of the London-based producer A.G. Cook. They came together in like 2013 or so, like by releasing stuff on SoundCloud. And some of their most notable artists have been Hannah Diamond, Easy Fun, GFOTY, Planet 1999. They've released a lot of like compilations and like they're mostly associated with hyperpop. Like they're a collective of musicians that has sort of like calcified the sort of like exaggerated, jagged, uber computerized dance 
music stripped down to its basic parts vibe that is hyper pop and sort of reveling in artifice, you know, reveling in advertising, consumerism, corporate branding. I mean, I believe Hannah Diamond was like a fake artist in some ways that like was also seen as like a, just created to be like a brand advertisement. Like it was a commentary on like the art and commerce conversation in some ways. Like it's just that utterly like jagged, synthetic, computerized. I mean, Sophie is not part of PC music, but was like adjacent to PC music. So like they're part of that world. And I think the answer to your question about their legacy is that I think they're going to be remembered as one of the most influential and forward thinking pop movements of the last decade plus in a time when pop has felt really stuck in nostalgia, in kind of like dirginess, in kind of like backwards lookingness and sort of dourness and overly introspective music in some ways. I think they'll be remembered and I think we're only beginning to see their infiltration into the mainstream in terms of like that. They were some of the only people that were engaging with pop music with a truly forward thinking lens. And I think we see that legacy being carried on in obviously Charlie, but of course who, you know, collaborated a lot with A.G. Cook and adopted their sound but put like a mainstream pop sheen on it obviously the continued success and influence of 100 gex is incredibly indebted to pc music's whole thing and then i think we're going to start seeing ag cook and all these people like that's one question i have about dua lipa like what would the dua lipa ag cook album sound like you know it seems like in a post charlie world for him i mean he produced a song on renaissance i mean there's like they've made inroads into mainstream pop and i think it would be wise for an artist like a Dua Lipa, like somebody that's like very obviously mainstream, but like, you know, this is what Madonna was so great at, right? Was like being able to spot a movement that was ready for like primetime and like giving it the primetime sheen, Mm -hmm. right? Like that was her, her skill. And I think another pop star, like Charlie again, like is the person that did that in some ways, but wasn't able to mainstream it, you know? So it's like, she still represents some bit of an agitator or early adopter. So it could be interesting to see an artist like a Dua Lipa, like make some version of a PC music inspired album. I could see that being sort of cool. I could also see it being cringe. I'm not totally sure, but like, it does seem like they're due for somebody to sort of like really take, I mean, and these sounds have found their way like in influential ways into the mainstream, but I mean like to really sort of like take that vibe and and make it mainstream and and make it like the centerpiece of pop would be an interesting way to see that legacy play out. But no matter what, in a moment of real kind of like frustration for me as a pop listener in terms of the way that pop music sounds right now, I will remember their legacy as as part of a series of artists in this space that like actually tried to like push the sound of pop music in a forward moving direction when most did not take that responsibility seriously. Next up, I have a question that is actually for me. It is from Ooh, for you. <laughs> wow, we're fighting for the spotlight now. <laughs> it is from another Canadian listener and a wonderful member of our Discord community. Here we go. Hi, Louis and Russ. This is Michael calling from the Discord, longtime Discord member and listener, first-time caller. My question is specifically for Russ. So we've already had quite a few Canadian artists covered on Pop Pantheon. And my question is, if there were a Canadian Pop Pantheon, where would the artists already covered land? So I'm thinking The Weeknd, Drake, Celine, Bieber, Nelly Furtado, and really anyone else you can think of. Because I personally think 
that they would probably rank a little bit differently than in the American pantheon. Okay, I have given this question a lot of thought. Thank you, Michael, for it. it. I'm excited to get one that is for me and my country. We have great Canada rep on this show. We I've do. Like, we have really solid Canadian representation. <laughs> we also have a, a pretty substantial Canadian audience. So if you mm-hmm. are listening in Canada, you know, shout out to you. I came up with sort of two rules. The first rule is you're probably going to go up at least one tier from an American pantheon to a Canadian pantheon. And rule number two is if you are ever A-list in America, even for a moment, you're A-list in Canada forever. (laughs) Wait, wait, I have a question. But like, if they're all, like you think Drake goes up a tier? So I have all of the tiers we have uh, ranked the Canadians in. So The weekend was tier two. Drake is tier two. Celine is tier two. Justin Bieber tier three, Shania Twain tier three. I think Bieber was two. Or did we move him down? I think we moved him. We might have moved we him adjusted. down. We adjusted, yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. Nelly Furtato is tier four, and Carly Rae Jepsen is an niche legend. So the adjustments that I would make. Celine Dion, easily tier one. Queen of Canada, forever iconic. Shania Twain, A, I have beef with her being in tier three in America. I think that she is bigger than that. I think that she opened doors for Taylor Swift. I think that she has just an unstoppable series of hits in the 90s. I think she defined country music for a decade. In Canada, without a doubt, tier one. She's one of the Mm -hmm. biggest Canadian artists of all time. She means something to every single Canadian. I actually think... Both Justin Bieber and Drake at the point that we are now, they've been around for an incredibly long time. This is Drake's second moment in pop culture and Canadian life. Both of them are going in tier one as well. Nelly wow. Furtado is going to make a big jump. <laughs> also in tier one. <laughs> Listen, there's there's not going to be that many Canadians in tier one, right? You got to think like we don't have a Madonna. We don't have a Janet. We don't have these Michael Jackson guiding forces in this world without them. Yeah, Justin Bieber and Drake have done about the most that a Canadian has ever done in the international music market. So tier one for mm-hmm. sure. Nelly Furtado flies all the way up to tier two. Whoa. Absolutely. And also, I think Whoa Nelly was probably a bigger moment in Canada than it was in America. Mm -hmm. The weekend, I am not ready to put into tier one. The weekend, I'm keeping in tier two, calling tier one ascendant. The weekend and Nelly Furtado are in the same tier. Yes, they are. I actually think that Nelly Furtado in terms of being a Canadian icon, is a bigger deal than The weekend. All right. Because we got to see how it still shakes out. You're the expert. You're the expert. (laughs) I also had a few thoughts about, there are some people who wouldn't even be in an American pantheon necessarily who would actually rank pretty high in Canada. Amanda Marshall is one that comes to mind who would be tier three. Some of the tier four or five spots like Sean Desmond, B44, these acts that don't necessarily break anywhere else. Len, who had the hit Steal My Sunshine. Louis, do you know who Jan Arden is? No idea. So like Jan Arden would be tier three, maybe even tier two, particularly for For the 80s and 90s, we had very strict government rules about the radio and a certain portion of it had to be Canadian. So there are huge artists that are big from Canadian radio and much music video play that are nowhere else. And I think that 
that is probably true for around the world, but I think it's less true today. And that's maybe why I don't see The weekend as iconically Canadian as I would see mm. someone like Nelly Furtado. Interesting. All right. Interesting. Love it. That's my Canadian pantheon for you. That was amazing. With so much thought as usual. <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything else. A fun question that is turning around your most asked question on you. I got a call from Daniel. Hey, Louie. Hey, Ross. This is Daniel from Melbourne, Australia. I'm a huge fan of the pod. And one of my favorite things about the career episodes, Louie, is when you ask the guest what their favorite underrated track is. Now, I wanted to ask you both. What are your favorite underrated tracks from your favorite artist? Now, my favorite artist is Britney, and I have three favorites that I feel like no one know about but the true stands, and they are State of Grace, Rockstar, and Amnesia. Now, in my heart, these are number one singles. These should have been official album tracks. So if you can think of any from your favorite artist, please let me know. You want to go first or me? I want you to go first. Who are you choosing? I'm going to go with Janet, I guess, just to keep be consistent. Cool. I would say that three of my favorite underrated Janet tracks are Empty from The Velvet Rope. And we talk about that at length on our Patreon episode with Rich Joswiak, where we talked about The Velvet Rope. So I would put that on there for sure. I'm also a huge fan of the song Roller Coaster from 2008's Discipline, which is a record that I didn't totally appreciate when it came out at the time, but has really grown on me. And I enjoy a lot, a lot of good songs on that record. But in terms of like a true deep cut, Roller Coaster is a Dark Child production that pays homage to Jimmy and Terry in many ways and is just light, frothy Janet classic. And then I'll throw on Strawberry Bounce from Demita Joe, mm. the record that got tanked by the Super Bowl. A very enjoyable album on the whole. This one is co-produced by Kanye West. <clears throat> and is incredibly fun, like sex robot meets elevator music <laughs> Janet song, if that makes sense. I consider Demita Joe kind of her elevator music phase in general, but like hot, sexy elevator music. Um, and this is just like a really weird, like fun house, sex robot elevator music song that I really enjoy. So I'll put those three out there as three underrated tracks from my favorite artists. What about you, Russ? I love that. I went with Gaga. And my three are Mary Jane Holland, which I think mm. is just the definition of a album track banger has no business mm -hmm. being a single but damn do i mm -hmm. love that song brown mm -hmm. eyes which i think is one brown eyes. one of her greatest ballads i think it's mm -hmm. just spectacular and mm -hmm. then i went with do what you want and what a disaster of a choice for a collaborator mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that is some of the best, if not the best work by DJ White Shadow, who is one of her key collaborators. And I thought represented just like a sliding doors moment in which if they had released that without R. Kelly, it could have led to a whole different sound that the two of them could have made together. Well, Russ, they did release it without R. Kelly. They released it with our queen, Legentina, 
Aguilera. You know, I appreciate that people are trying to make that canon. It, it's fine. My favorite part is when she goes, Do what you want, Christina. What you want, Lady Gaga. <laughs> Uh, it's inauthentic. They hate each other. Uh, okay. Next up, we've got a question about niche legends that comes from Jason. Hi, Louis. I'm a massive fan of the show. Um, I listen religiously every week. Um, and I've come to realize that I guess I'm a bit of a niche legend kind of guy. Um, I'm really obsessed with Robin, Charlie XCX, and Lord. Um, obviously, I'm a New Zealander. So I love Lord. Um, anyway, I'm not going to ask about any of them because you've already spoken about them a lot on the show. Um, but I wanted to get your hot takes on some other niche legends. So I thought maybe you could chat for a few minutes um, about each of them and just give your opinion. Um, yeah, so the niche legends I was thinking of um, that I love are Christine and the Queens. Um, Azalea Banks, uh, Haim, uh, Tuvalu, or Tovalo, however you want to say it, um, Kalis, and then one that's a bit more left of centre, um, Bjork. Um, so yeah, I'd love to get your opinion on those niche legends. All right, we are going to do this as a rapid fire. You okay. are able to say three words tops about each of these. Christine and the Queens, instant response. Rhythmic lesbian icon. <laughs> Azalea Banks. Problematic fave forever. I am. My Jewish sisters. <laughs> Tuvalu. Um, dirty, sexy dance music. <laughs> That's four words. Khalees. <laughs> Underrated, influential farmer. Bjork. Looking forward episode (laughs) (laughs) would you like to expand or pontificate on one or two of those at all or some of the this is a real variety of niche legend categories it is it is Khalees is an all-time favorite artist of mine and if you want to listen to me talk more about her there's a good episode of flop culture with Fanula Jones that I highly recommend good podcast I'm on the first episode talking about Khalees and we will definitely be doing an episode on her because she was a huge thing for me growing up very formative artist so really love Khalees I of course love Azalea Banks like any other (laughs) self-loathing homosexual and Anybody else I want to pontificate on? Haim. I love Haim. Haim is like an all-time favorite group for me. Like absolutely adore all three of those records. My Silver Lake sissies, my Jewish, my desert family, my desert wandering family. Okay, I've got one last question. This is from our patron, Sarah, who asks, how did you meet and start working together? And in parentheses, obsessed with your Lady Gaga episodes, you recorded on Dunzo, Russ. Um, cute. We met because I was drowning making this show by myself. And you can go back and listen to the episodes from around, I don't know, early 2022. And I was like asking if there was anybody who wanted to come very part-time help 
me and Russ I actually knew about before because of Dunzo because I think maybe the first time this podcast ever got a shout out was when Russ gave us a shout out on Dunzo like very early on in the podcast run but I didn't realize I don't know I I didn't make the connection and then basically you just reached out to me and were very much like hey I'm interested in doing this and we met and it was pretty like easy I feel like it was just I immediately thought you were like incredibly impressive and you had so many good ideas and you came really prepared and we had great chemistry and it was like very obvious. And and then basically, I think since then, it's grown from like a, you know, just like a thing you were helping me out with a couple hours a week to like, you know, something that you're now like much an integral part of. And like this show, not to be mushy, but this show truly would not exist, nor would it have gotten to the place it is right now without Russ? There's, it, it wouldn't have been possible. So like, you know, it's a, it's, it's become an incredible partnership. Really, uh, honestly, very seamless partnership. I have to say, like, I, I, I don't know if I can think of a lot of relationships in my life that have had like this level of seamlessness to them. But that's how we met. Anything you want to add? Sorry for being. That, that's very sweet, Louis. Thank you. I would say shout out to my friend Mimi, who is the one who introduced me to Pop Pantheon is, you know, we all have these great friends. I think everyone in the listenership would relate to this. Like you have your friends that you can talk to about pop music. And then most people in your life don't care about the factoids that you are bringing about the recording of a Britney Spears album from 20 years ago. And Mimi is that girl that I can sit down with and go deep and sent me this podcast and said, I think you would love it. I did love it. And yeah, uh, it has grown into a much bigger thing than when we started. Uh, so it's yeah, that's, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. No, but that that is, I mean, like that would not have been possible without you. The first thing, like the, Russ literally came in, I remember like on our first meeting and he was like, you have to start publishing this weekly. And I was like, you're kidding me because I'm already going to kill myself. Like I, I, don't, I have too much to do. Like I'm going to die. And you were like, no, we got to start publishing it weekly. And like, I'm going to help. And I was like, okay. And that was very important as were many of the innovations you have brought to this show so so yeah it's it's been great i adore you as you know we can't send this out on such an earnest note okay so what is the song that we're sending it out on Uh, oh you didn't come with that plan new rules (laughs) why new rules because it's steely and cold and oh because you just want like an icy song kim petras icy all right so we'll we'll go out on icy by kim petras how's that fine let's go out on icy by kim petras we have no feelings we're emotionally shut down traumatized queer people (laughs) it is hard for me to accept you being so kind to me what do you mean you're the one that's the kind one but that's fine do you know how if you if you only knew what russ deals with with me on a day-to-day basis with the utmost grace all the time (laughs) when as you say uh, jessica simpson comes out (laughs) i also want to say thank you to everyone who sent in questions voice notes etc again i want to say that we are going to have a patron mailbag episode coming Mm -hmm. out soon Mm -hmm. if you sent in a question and did not have it answered and you are a patron tbd and once again patreon.com slash pop pantheon at least three episodes a month we have some really cool stuff coming out join us indeed and thank you russ for organizing this and everybody that sent questions in we love you all whether you're a patron or not we love you all for listening to the show and for spreading the word about the show and helping us grow and love answering all of your incredibly thoughtful questions this community is incredible like you guys are just so impressive so thank you for that let's go out on niche legend bordering on tier five icon bb sorry (laughs) (laughs) 
niche legend bordering on tier five artist Kim Petrus's. I have it. I have it. I would like to match your earnesty. Oh, okay. Can I can I make a song suggestion? Yeah. Can we go out? Given the breadth of calls from around the world, yeah. Could we go out on the uh, dance classic "Around the World" by Daffa? Sure, absolutely. Shout out. Let's go yeah, out. Shout out Venezuela. We we love our global community. So sure. Let's the go Netherlands. Around the world by Daft Punk. Fine. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Bye. Italy. <laughs> yeah. Don't. I was going to say, do you want to go out on Jennifer Lopez going Brazil, Morocco, <laughs> London to Ibiza, whatever. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.